Amen. Please take a seat. Good morning, everybody. The fun and games of live tech. Um, we uh, Greetings to everybody at home. I'm trying to remember. I've got to do that. There's some new things here. I have marked out on the floor here some, some tape um, that tells me that I cannot go further that way than the tape and further that way than the tape, so I can't wander too much, otherwise I think I'm going to get out of camera shot. Um, we're, we're dealing with all sorts of new things here. Um, uh, smile with your eyes as much as you can. Um, if you're angry, just still smile with your eyes. If you agree, smile with your eyes. Um, you can say amen. You can respond. Uh, I, I remember um, there, was a, there was a time when I was recording to camera when I was remembering where people sat, and, and it's weird that, again, People are actually here. I don't have to say that over there we have Ryan and Jessica, and over there Cecilia, Jose, and so on and so forth, um, and Adam and Terry. Um, um, how many of you are people that take selfies? How many of you take selfies? Who wants to admit that? There shouldn't be too many people of our generation in this room that take selfies. Selfies, selfies do an interesting thing. They they, they capture an image of something as it is, and obviously the person taking the, the selfie wants to remember whatever it is they were doing or they and their friends who were in it were doing at that particular time. Um, but, but pictures um, have, have more than one purpose. Um, uh, Nathaniel and Catherine were looking through a series of photographs that Anna and I had taken over the years because we aren't big photograph takers today, but they realized that we used to take more photographs and the interesting thing those photographs do is they remind us of a particular time, a particular place um, in history. And when you look back, and if you've looked back at old photographs that you have yourself, um, you, you'll see that you may have been heavier or, or lighter or better looking <laughs> or, or, or not so good looking because we, we, we believe that we grow into good looks, don't we? We, we all do. We all look far better than we did when we were 16 and 17 and 18, and the maturity is, has done wonders for us all. Um, but there's another thing that pictures do, and it's not just that they capture an image of a time and a place. Um, there's something that is, that is a representation of what, what could be. And we don't think about pictures and images in that sense very much these days, do we? Um, how many of you have thought about losing weight and have maybe put a, a, a picture of yourself when you maybe once weighed less up on a wall somewhere as something to be aspiring to, something to look forward to? Um, and even if it's not a picture of you, I've heard of motivational pictures of people that aren't even you, people that are ripped, that you put pictures off on your wall because you want to look like them. Um, but, 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 but you think of other things pictures do. Um, we... we we, we, we can motivate ourselves in all sorts of ways. If our house is a tip, you can look at a lot of pictures of people's houses who aren't. And maybe you aspire to have a house that looks a little bit more like the one in, and I can't offer you any titles of any specific house magazines. Anybody want to help me? We don't look at those things then. Okay. Um, but, but what we're presenting to you um, over, the series of, over the next few weeks uh, is a series of pictures of church. And Ben last week spoke uh, in our series, uh, the title of which is simply We, um, and he spoke a lot about what we are called out of, and he presented a picture of, of our culture, a culture that has a lot of individualism about it, a culture that has a lot of consumerism, a culture that is, that is steeped in, in nationalism. 
And instead of dwelling in what we want to be called out of, what we are in fact called out of, what God wants us to leave behind, to, to do less of, we're going to be presenting to you over the next few weeks a series of, series of images of church so that we can begin to get a sense of who we should be, who we could be, who God has designed us to be. Um, next week, um, we're going to speak about how we are the workmanship, God's perfect design, God's poetic brilliance, God's masterpiece, God's engineering brilliance. Then we're going to speak um, about uh, how we are the family. Then we're going to speak about how we are the temple. Then we're going to speak about how we are the bride, how the church is then finally the army. A series of images, a series of pictures, and my hope and prayer, and, and our hope and prayer is that as we present those pictures to, to you, to you here, whoever's gathered each week, to whoever, whoever is at home, that, that, that our faith begins to arise. That we begin to get a sense of the possibilities, the potential, and see the pathway to what we can walk in as God has intended for it to be. And, and the thing you realize there is, is the more you focus on the, on the potential, on the possibility, the thing that you are walking out of and are called away from begins to lose its brilliance, begins to look less, begins to look less significant, less important, and is clearly the lesser thing when the greater thing, the more perfect thing, the more better thing, the more brilliant thing shines ever more brightly. Because when, when church is here and the world is here, then we prefer the individualism and the consumerism and the nationalism of the world. But as we get a, an increased image and we pray that God increases our faith and as, as our faith grows and our faith grows and our faith grows and our faith grows and we see that, that we're a bride and we see that we're a body and an army and a family and a temple, all of a sudden we realize that God's called us into this, this magnificent thing and we can't even remember what this was. It's so all the affiliations that are so strong to political parties and to ideologies and all the other things and to the consumerism, the individualism of our world pale away and disappear as we get a brighter, clearer, more perfect image of church as God intends for it to be. Um, and so this week, I'm going to be presenting a picture to you of us as the body. Now, we all have a body, right? Okay. Um, now, I want us to reflect on our bodies for a moment. Um, everybody has a thumb. Hold up your thumb if you have a thumb. Let's see, everybody's got a thumb. Will, have you got a thumb? <laughs> Will's got a thumb. All right. <laughs> now, I want you to think for a moment, what, what goes into that simple gesture of holding up a thumb? Tell me what happened there. You heard me say it. I spoke it. So my mouth's involved. Your ears are involved. Um, your eyes might be involved in coordinating where the, where the thumb is and looking at your thumb. What's your thumb consist of? Tell me some of the components of your thumb. Muscles, bones, tendons, there's, there's a nail. Everybody got a thumbnail and a cuticle? I'm not sure what it is. I think those are things you're meant to push back in those um, nail salons and stuff, and I, I don't do that. Uh, what's, what, what, what else was involved in that? So it's not just the thumb. In order for the thumb to be held up, what else was involved? Do we have a... What are you saying, Cecile? The four fingers, so we, we did this probably, unless we just did that, right? Which I don't think anybody did that. And, and so the arms involved, and more than the arms involved, the brain was involved somewhere, the brain sending signals. And for the brain to send signals, we need what else? Nerves. And what else is going on? There's sinews, and, and, there's, and there's muscles all over us. And we could go on and on about the things that we consciously think of in that simple gesture of doing this. 
But what about the things that we don't think of? What about the unspoken parts of our bodies? And let's call out some of those. My, my, I'm going to throw into the pot the duodenum. What is that? Anybody knows what that is, what is and does? No? Um, this morning, and I want you to be praying for James Rogers, who we believe has suspected appendicitis. And so be praying for him and, 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 for, and for that process of presumably them taking that out to, to, to go well and, and, and for that to be as pain-free as possible and for the surgeons to do their work as expertly as possible. But the appendix, what does that do? Nothing. It's a vestigial organ. Right, okay. And other pick, there's a spleen and a, and a gallbladder and all those other things that are involved and we have lungs and hearts. Everything that's involved in just this, right? And, and, so, and so the interesting thing is that if you took any one of those things away, where are we? We're messed up. And, 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 and what are some principles then that arise from thinking about what's at work behind the scenes in holding up a thumb? Is there a sense of togetherness? Is there a sense of everything depending on everything else? Is there a sense in which everything matters? Because if I cut my big toe off here, or something horrible like that, the rest of my body would suffer. And we're realizing here that, that James Rogers, who isn't here, is suffering. And God, we pray, not in too much pain. And we feel that. Melissa feels it. Steve feels that. The rest of the Rogers family feels that. There's been a reason that other people have had to step into the role that Melissa was going to perform this morning here. So see how the impact of a little thing, seemingly insignificant, but massive and significant and important to him, matters to everybody. There's a connectedness. There's a togetherness. There's an interdependence. And the scripture speaks about this. And we're going to start by looking in 1 Corinthians 12, um, verses 12 through to 27. And there, um, Paul is speaking about the body. And in verse 12, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would smelling be? But now God has set the members, each of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker and necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no, no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Can we say that? Now we are the body of Christ, the body of Christ. and members individually. Just one more time. Now we are the bodies of, body of Christ and members individually. And Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 says the same thing. 
in a more compact way. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Let's return to thinking about our own bodies for a moment and our thumb illustration. And I'm going to suggest something to you, that if you saw on the floor a severed thumb, what would you think? Gross. Something's, how, how, what, what? What on earth caused the thumb to be severed? You'd think that there'd been some horrible thing that had happened, right? And let's go a little further. Uh, what about a horror story thumb? That's not just lying on the floor, but is somehow running around. <laughs> and it's not just running around, it's got a mouth, and you see little lips on it, and it's saying, it's shouting out, I don't need you. I'm fine. I got everything I, got. I am. I know everything. I am everything. I'm the whole thing here. Yeah, we would shout. No. We might, we might <coughs> stamp on that thing and scream a little, shout out abomination or something like that, or whatever you'd shout in much less sophisticated words than abomination. But it, it would, it, it, the, thought, the thought of a severed thumb or worse, a thumb that is, is, is so full of itself that it's saying I'm everything. I've got everything. I don't need you. Is as ridiculous as a church doing the same thing. It's as ridiculous as any one of us doing the same thing. It's as ridiculous as one congregation, whether it's a, a small congregation or a mega church or a denomination saying, I have no need of anything else. It's as ridiculous as a white church saying it doesn't need a black church or a multicultural church. It's as ridiculous as, as, as a church that is, is more liberal in its thinking, if you want to use that word to describe it, saying, I don't need a church that is more conservative in its thinking. Wouldn't it be interesting if God had said all these things in the body to have a sense of interdependence and need for one another so that there would be no factions, no Division, no schism. And when we think about the church, the problem we have is that we define it narrowly. I think Ben said last week that when you look in a dictionary and it speaks about church, it defines a church as the, as the building. And the problem is, remember what I'm saying, if, if the world's here and the church is down here because it's just a building, when the lights are on, when the people are in it, when there's a lot of people in it, when the worship's good and the preaching's good, we still ain't up here yet. And this is the problem we have, is that our picture of church is too small. And so I'm praying that God is opening our eyes to see that this one image, just of the body, is one of many others that we're going to see. And when we add to that that we're an army and we're a body that has authority and we're, we're a temple and we're a family, we're the bride, that our imagination for church grows, I pray so. And so we realize then that the, 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 the building isn't it. And when we're here, it's not it. Or when the whole of Grace Mary, everybody who attends here or is a partner or calls Grace Mary at home, isn't the whole of the church. And even if we were to be 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000, you can see how when that happens, that you begin to get a sense of, we really don't need everybody because we got it going on. And that's the worst thing that we have in the world at the moment, is that our vision of church is far too small. A church is not bricks and mortar. It's not the building when we're here. It's not a bigger building when there's a lot of us here. It's something else. And to see what that something else is, I want us to turn to Ephesians 1, verses 22 to 23. 
sorry, um, we're reading from 22 to 23. And it says there that he, and who the he is, it's God the Father. And earlier on in Ephesians, it says the Father of God, the Father of Jesus. Verse 17, God, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, who's the one that Paul is praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be given, is the one that works mighty power in Christ, verse 20, when he raises him from the dead and he seats Christ in the heavenly places at his right hand, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that age which is to come. And then we get into verse 22. And he put all things under whose feet? Christ's feet. And gave him, who is him? Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does it say? The fullness of him who fills a little church building? No. The fullness of him who fills a mega church building? No. The fullness of him who fills the whole of East Cobb? No. Even if every church in East Cobb came together? No. The fullness of him who fills all in all. How much is that? It's all of it. Grasp this for a moment. If you, if you had a Bible and you flicked back to, to Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says that blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he's raised us up to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so, and so get this picture, that Christ is the head. His feet have everything underneath them. And his body, who is the church, fills how much? All. All. Everything. Everything everywhere. And you recognize from that that there's a sense there that that body, and this is the first observation I want to make about this text, it's a body that has authority. Because if all things are under Christ's feet, all things, all principalities, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age which is to come. If they are under Christ's feet and we are seated with him in the heavenly places, we are a body that has spiritual authority. Where's the world? And our little church, and our bigger church, and the body of Christ that fills all, in all, seated with him in the heavenly places with every name, every dominion, all power, all things, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Where? Under his feet. Get a sense of this. Get a sense of how vast the picture, the reality, the truth of what it means to be church is. And you'll see as that, as that expands, as that grows, that the other things, the, the consumerism, the individualism, the nationalism just they just evaporate. They, they, they don't matter anymore because we realize that God has called us into something else, something bigger. So not only is that my first observation that we're a body that fills all, in all, how much of it? Is it just us in Grace Merit? Are we the whole of the body? No. Is it us plus next door, plus the church down the road and the church down the other road, and then we go down Johnson Ferry Road and we add in Mount Bethel and Johnson Ferry. We've got a lot of people there, so all of a sudden we're the whole church. No, are we the whole church? No? Is it all the church alive today? I don't think so. Because I think the body of Christ that fills all, in all, in the spiritual, heavenly places, is the whole church for all time. The apostles that were there are still apostles that are part of the body that are still being apostolic and who still taught and who still spoke and who still prophesy to us in our day. The churches, all of those things get a big picture of church.
But this is the important thing. This is my second point. So firstly, a church is a body with authority. And secondly, a church is kept together by joints and ligaments. Think of your own body for the moment. Think of this as my, as my knee joint. If my knee's like this, what's going on? I've got difficulty. Who's experienced something like that? All right. But when the knee joints are together, is that enough? What holds the knee bones together? Ligaments. Anybody ever torn or ruptured a, a ligament? Okay. Which causes the joint not to be as proximate, as tight, as close as possible. Now, it's interesting. I'm going to look at Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 16, and see the words, joints, and ligaments in this verse, and in another verse we're going to look at just after this, which is in Colossians 2, verses 19. Um, Ephesians 4, um, verses 15. Um, Grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Look at the significance in the midst of that whole passage of the word joint. And some of you may have in, if you read it, if you were looking in another Bible, you may see the word ligament in there as well. But if you want to see both of those words together, let's flip forward to Colossians 2, um, verses 19. And I'm going to read from the verse before. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. The body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. And as it is, it grows with the increase that is from God. So it's probably important that we have a sense of what a joint might be and what a ligament might be. Now, I'm going to push, suggest two things to you, that our joints are our relationships. Our joints are our relationships. Liv, I'm far from you. The body isn't growing. If this is a knee joint and the bones are this far apart, the body's wobbling, and as we're saying, even one little thing goes wrong in the body, the whole body's falling apart. But if we, so I'm saying that the essence of relationships as joints, imagine every relationship being a joint is that, is that they've got to get how far? Closer, 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 closer. So close that we're almost touching. So close that we are touching. And isn't that horrific? Particularly in a pandemic season. That it works against that and it sets everybody six feet, eight feet apart for the purposes of physical distancing. But it says we've got to work all that much harder to maintain relationships. And to maintain relationships is why I personally hate the term social distancing. I like to call it physical distancing. Because even though we're, phys we're so physically apart, we should be still socially connected. But if our joints are our relationships, what then is a ligament? What keeps a relationship together? What keeps a marriage together? What keeps a friendship together? Particularly when we are people that are full of sin and make mistakes, and aren't perfect, and don't get on with the whole way. Thank you, Jose. It's love. 
So if our joints are our relationships, then maybe the ligaments are love. And not the kind of love that is, that is here today and gone tomorrow, love that is, is okay so long as it's going well, but a kind of covenant love, the kind of love that Christ has for the church, the kind of love that says, I know that we ain't getting on well, and actually it's like two knuckles rubbing together so, so badly, but nevertheless there is, this, there is this wrapping of love and covenant love that is so strong that it, it, it binds the relationship together. Pause and think about that for a moment in your own life, here and at home. Think about the relationships that you have with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your brothers and sisters in the church community that is Grace Marietta. Think how proximate you should be to them could be to them, but realize how important it is that love, covenant love, works, operates, empowers, enables it. Because you see, when the covenant love is gone, where do marriages end up? And all of those things are there all the time. A lot of the same things that you're going to complain about are there all the time, but all that's happening is the love's gone. The love's gone, and so the list gets bigger. And when the love's gone, the list gets bigger in our culture. And so you begin to label people as they are this, and they are that, and this is their political ideology, because there's no love, and all you see is, because the joints separate, well, I'm going to suggest this, that when the joints are together, you, 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 there's no space to see the separation. But as, it, as, it, as, it, as the love goes, and the joint comes apart, then all you see is, him and she's this and thinks this and says this and then you begin to tweet about them and you begin to write things on Facebook about them and you post Instagram posts about them and then you speak about them and you gossip about them and so on and so forth. Instead of that, get so close and pray that God binds it together in love. And back to this scripture here, what is it saying? That, that ultimately, as the joints and ligaments are together, the whole body is now. And the rest of the body can maintain its shape. And the rest of the body can work. See, it's funny in the scripture, it says, when the people are silent, the rocks cry out. Here, when the people are silent, the air conditioning speaks, right? <laughs> that was the air conditioning say, amen. <laughs> All right, I got one more point here. Um, and, and, and so firstly, we are a body with authority. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of your positional place in Christ, in the heavenly places, in part of his body that fills all in all. Secondly, we're a body that is kept together by joints and ligaments, so work on the relationships and pray that God binds those relationships together with covenant love. And the third thing I want to say is that we must all discover our place. We've got to work out whether we're a thumb or an eye or an ear or a big toe Hopefully not an appendix, which is a vestigial organ that just typically causes pain and needs to be cut out and thrown away. <laughs> um, but something that matters to the body. And, and, and Romans 12, um, we read earlier from Romans 12, verses 4 uh, to 5. And there we were reading about how we are many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. If you jump back up, you'll get a sense of this process by which we work out what our part in the body is. I'm not going to dwell too much time here, 
um, because I'm, I'm drawing close to closing, but it says that uh, 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 in, in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And next week, when we begin to speak about God's workmanship, it's recognizing that God's designed this immense work of art, and you're part of it. And it's basically saying, work out what you are in the picture, work out what piece of God's brilliant engineering you are, and play your role. If you're some little cog or some little thing that, that's not doing its part, then the whole machine that is God's, God's church doesn't work somehow. And if, and if, you, and if you were to take a, a big chunk out of a, a brilliant masterpiece, the whole picture looks spoiled, and that's the same here. It's the same as if, if you don't work out, if I don't work out, if we don't work out what our part in the body is, the whole body suffers. And it begins here as it says, present yourself by the mercies of God, a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice, which is saying, God, whatever you want, whatever you meant, whatever you designed me to be, whatever you purposed me to be, we walked through that whole series of, of talking about divine design, whatever your original, huge, big design was, and whatever part I meant to play in that, I present myself to you, and this is my reasonable service. It's the least you can do. It's rational service. It makes sense. It doesn't make sense for it to be otherwise. And then verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world's individualism. Do not be conformed to this world's consumerism. Do not be conformed to this world's nationalism or any other ism that the world has, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think that's a process where as we, as we read the scripture and as we hear the word of God, faith arises. As we present to you pictures of what church could be, faith arises. And as faith arises, what happens? We begin to see the potential and the possibility and the place that God's called us to walk into, which is better than the place that we're dwelling in. And we step into that. And not only do we have the potential and the, to step into that, but the power is there to step into that. I see that I can do this. I can be the person that God intended me to be. And I get a sense of what that is. But how do we do that? It says here, by the renewing of your mind, and as our minds are renewed, as we meditate on the Word of God, as we see pictures of the things God's called us to be, as our vision grows, as our faith grows, we're transformed. There's nothing that God can't transform. There's no situation that God can't redeem. And it says it because the Scripture says so. However bad it is, however fragmented, however horrible it is, however much despair or hopelessness there is, this tells me that we can be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds as God empowers us to walk into it. Him, him in us, working out, as we work, at, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the Scripture says, knowing that it's God in us, willing us, giving us the potential, the power, the ability to, to walk out the calling that he has for us. And as our minds are renewed, finishing off that verse, that we may prove what is the good, acceptable. Can we have the verse back up, please? The good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Um, this is Romans 12, 2, when somebody gets back there. No, I'm seeing a shaking of head. All right, let me just read it. <laughs> Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. In other words, that you discover your place in the body.
and you're not a horror story severed thumb running around saying, I don't need you. I've got it all. I've got all the answers. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I, when I, anytime I prepare something, I realize that I don't have all the answers. I have not yet worked out a moment where I can say, has anybody heard anything that God has said to them while I've been speaking that actually just makes this better than it was when I put it on paper? Has anybody? I guess that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to open it up so it becomes so crazy and we lose, lose a sense of it. But I want you to recognize that when you come to church, you're not just coming to fill a pew. We're part of the body and we have a responsibility and, and, and the sense of what, what are you bringing to this body that makes the body function well. So never forget those three things. We have authority as this body. We're kept together by joints and ligaments. Joints that are our relationships, ligaments that are our covenant love. And thirdly, that we must all discover our place. In John um, chapter 17, um, we're going to transition to communion. Um, if you at home have... Uh, communion elements prepared, maybe grape juice, maybe some bread. Um, I suggest you, you go get those now. Um, everyone who's here um, has an individualized communion. If you don't have an individualized communion, there are some uh, on the tables at the left and the right and the rear. Um, and as we're heading into this, I want us to, to remember these words that Jesus speaks in John 17. I'm reading from John 17 verses 20 to 23. Jesus has prayed for his disciples. Um, and it seems that sequentially he's praying this prayer before the cross. Which means that in his mind, when he says at the beginning of it, the Father, I've done everything you gave me to do, that, that he's, he's seeing beyond the, the, the present reality of, of the cross that he's about to go to. And having prayed for his disciples, he says, I do not pray for these alone, that's the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? Is that us? Isn't that amazing that Jesus is praying for us? Those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and this is the important thing, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. So there's a glory that God's given us to enable this oneness, this unity, that they may be one just as we are one. There's an image of, and I don't know that we can fathom the oneness between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but Jesus sees that, and he's saying that out of that, I pray that you have some of this. And there's glory. There's grace so that you can walk in this. I in them, verse 23, you in me, that they may be perfect in one and again, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Our unity as a congregation, as part of the eternal church, models something to the world. And what is that? That the world has an opportunity to believe by that unity, by that oneness that Jesus was sent. And when we display disunity, 
and we don't get on and we have factions and schisms and divisions and separations, then the world looks at us and says, I don't know who they say they believe in. I hear what comes out of their mouth. They speak about a God who is love and a God who is one, but I don't see it. Wouldn't it be better that we, and it was hard to think of the big church, <laughs> the eternal church, but we can begin here. We can begin here by working on our relationships and praying for and walking in covenant love. That means that we don't go our separate ways just because we have an argument. But we stick it out and we see it through. And then maybe every race, every age is in this place that others may look and see this microcosm of the eternal church and think that I know when I look at Grace Marietta, that God lives and Jesus is real because I see it in them because I don't know how it works other than that. That's the brilliance of when you have a marriage and you look on paper and think this thing shouldn't work, but it does. It's glory to God. Friendships that shouldn't on paper work, they give glory to God. And so as we head into communion, let me read the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. My brothers and sisters gathered in this building and further away, let's eat and drink, remembering the Lord's body broken, his blood shed so that we can be one. May our love arise. May our relationships be strengthened and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.